Better Call Saul Season 1, Episode 7. Bingo is over, but we're just getting started here on Better Call Saul Live, the post-show recap. And now here are the two guys who are part-time podcasters, part-time bingo callers. I'm Rob Sestrino. Here is Antonio Mazzaro. Antonio, how are you? Rob, I'm doing well. Are we square now? I figure if I'm doing this podcast with you, we're square. We're square. We're square. We're square, right. Antonio. And I always knew I was square. We're ready to go. We're live here back on Monday night after episode seven of Better Call Saul. And very excited to be back with you, Antonio. Yeah, we just it just seems like only a few days ago, Rob, we were together in New York City. Only a few days ago, we were together in NYC. And now here we are back on the podcast and very excited to talk about a fun episode of Better Call Saul. Maybe not as good as last week. Maybe not as good as last week. No, no, not as good as last week. But we did get uh, a great kind of wordless caper those few minutes that Mike was looking for the money. So that that in and of itself was worth the price of admission for me. But is Mike the best part of Better Call Saul? It's rough. I think so far, I think he's doing a lot of fan service and making a lot of people happy. So to say Mike's the best part is hard because I don't think it's doing enough justice to what's going on with our man, Jimmy McGill. But so far, it sure seems like Mike is the best part. Is that is it the best part for you? I think so. I mean, yeah. would this would, would this be better? Uh, this is a first world problem. If this show was called I Like Mike and Saul was the supporting character on I Like Mike. I this is a tough question to ask. I really is uh, is not. A, I think it's a question that the creators of this show really have to be careful with their mic use, not to uh, let people really entertain. Uh, so I think good. He, he's, so uh, good. he's too good. I mean, he's just last week. He crosses the vulnerability threshold, whatever that is, gives us a lot of a lot of different mic that we haven't seen before. This week, he doesn't really say anything. Just the way he's listening to a baseball game on a transistor radio is riveting. Yeah, he's so good. Uh, yeah. I'm so much more invested in everything with Mike than, you know, than with Kim and with and with McGill and all that stuff. But we'll talk about it all here tonight on Better Call Saul, Episode 7. And of course, we're live here on Monday night and we've got the chat room open. We're taking your questions. We've got a nice, healthy crowd here in the chat room. Hello, all the chat room people. And also, we're going to be following your tweets with the hashtag PS Recaps and also on our YouTube channel at postshowrecaps.com slash YouTube. And of course, only three episodes left to go. You can still subscribe to the Better Call Saul podcast at postshowrecaps.com slash BCS iTunes. All right, Antonio. Uh, so f- fun show tonight. You feeling good? Yeah, I'm feeling good. I'm feeling like I just uh, gave a whole bunch of money back to the cops. Yes, yes. Okay, <laughs> Antonio, good. I- I'm glad that we have you here. Of course, uh, Antonio is a lawyer and uh, of course, uh, not just somebody who plays one on a podcast. And so Antonio can explain to us some of the legal specifics that were brought up uh, in this episode. So Antonio, let me start there with you. And could you just sort of set up what the law says about the stuff uh, from this episode with the money that was embezzled and then uh, what happens now that the money has been brought back? Yeah, it really it makes it a little bit easier, I think, for the Kettleman's to get a deal. Ultimately, Kim mentions that the city needing to be made whole is kind of a key. And that is when it comes to damages and lawsuits or when it comes to sentencing, that's one of the theories behind what we do with criminals or punishments. We try to make the victim whole. In a lot of cases, you can't do that because something's been destroyed or a life has been taken. But in this case, it's pretty easy. Pay the money back and it's no harm, no foul. Now we just need to punish you a little bit for thinking you could take it in the first place. So the fact that the money's back, I think it does make it easier for the Kettleman's because it's no harm, no foul in that regard. Uh, they're going to punish him a little bit, slap on the wrist. Maybe instead of 30 years, he'll get 12 months. But it, it's making the victim whole. That's the key here. I, I know that that's hard considering we're coming off a week where the jinx was finalized on HBO where there's a lot of victims that weren't made whole. Yes, uh, that's yeah. a different post show recap. That's a different post show recap. But Antonio, so if the money then goes back to the DA sort of either anonymously or does it go with a note from Jimmy that says, here's your money back, sign the Kettleman's, is that, I mean, if, if the money, is there a difference with whether it comes back one way or the other? Maybe. I mean, it probably goes back anonymously or, or you know, with a note saying that this has been returned at the instruction of the Kettleman's. Uh, but if it if it goes back from the Kettleman's, they're going to get a lot more leniency from the court because they made good. Uh, they, they went through. I mean, if the police recovered on their own with no help from the Kettleman's, obviously that doesn't look as good for the Kettleman's. When it comes to something like a plea deal, the prosecution is going to make an offer. 
the state or the, the judge doesn't have to accept that offer. If they think the prosecution's making too light of an offer, the judge can just say, well, get it out of here. That's too not good enough. You know, go back. Those people need to serve more time. But uh, but in this case, I think it'll, it will help that uh, if it's attached to the Kettleman's in some way. And I got to think that's what Jimmy's plan was, because he's ultimately right. He's not trying to help the Kettleman's. He's trying to help Kim. Now, in the case of the Kettleman's where somebody has embezzled money and then they are paying their lawyer with the embezzled money, is the lawyer uh, is the lawyer culpable in that circumstance? Yeah, that can get the lawyer in trouble for sure, especially if the if it's from known kind of criminal enterprise and spoils uh, that can be that can be a real issue. I mean, most of the time, lawyers kind of want to retain a little bit of plausible deniability. I've worked for lawyers that have had drug dealers pay them in cash, just like huge wads of cash and say, oh, I'm charged with drug dealing. Now you have to get me off. It's like, hmm, where did all this money come from then? But uh, plausible deniability. But when it comes to the Kettleman's, the money that Jimmy was giving came right out of the bag. Uh, so there's not really I mean, it would take a Saul Goodman level kind of uh, reworking of, of the, the rules of uh, the rules of logic uh, and fact to kind of get your way out of that. So he could get in some trouble for that, for sure. But as he points out, go ahead and show that I did that. It's only going to, you know, it's only going to incriminate Mrs. Kettleman as well because she's complicit in this. And that that was a trump card for him in this in this episode, for sure. Do you like the Kettleman's, Antonio? I love the Kettleman's. Do you not like them? No, I like them. I like them. I actually uh, I like uh, Mrs. Kettleman uh, quite a bit. Yeah, me too. I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a big fan. I'm in. I'm in on the Kettleman's. Uh, yeah, what was it? That, was it was it Ned and Maude Flanders? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Very good. Very good. Uh, just like uh, there is no money there. There, there is no money. Uh, and just kept repeating it over. I thought they were going to say that they spent it all. I thought that's why she was saying that there is no money. But uh, I did too. Yeah, because they're talking about how they bought boats and stuff like this. Now, of course, the money that they talked about, how like they've spent all this money on stuff like it's not the complete amount. So what do they do about the gap in between what they stole versus what they return? Yeah, I mean, that might come up and, and hurt him a little bit. Uh, I think the city's going to have something to work with. On one hand, prosecuting them would probably cost a lot of money uh, for for the city or the county, depending on who's prosecuting them. So if they're willing to take a deal, they may be saving the county some money there. So maybe some of that comes up. I don't know. Uh, maybe Mr. Kettleman has to go out and do a little song and dance or uh, you know, show off some talents to, to make up some of that gap. Who knows? Okay, so now the Kettleman story seemingly is closed, but I feel like that there's still more that we need to do here with the Kettleman's. What would you like to see, Rob? I mean, I would like to see that be sort of the end of the story, but I feel like this is not going to be the case. Because just because it seems a little too cut and dried or? No, I feel like that it's, I mean, which part? I I feel like that we're going to see more of them. Do you disagree? Yeah, I think it's, I mean, I, I feel like it's done. I, I mean, I feel like we might see more of them kind of in, in, as background characters, but I feel like this story about them taking the money uh, was sort of tied up in a nice little bow. They're, they're going to go back and they seem to have accepted that what the best thing for them to do is to have Greg Kettleman take the deal, uh, serve a little time in jail and get back out and start on his feet. That doesn't mean we're not going to see from Mrs. Kettleman while, I mean, while he's in jail. I think what ultimately happens is I think the people that that run the show like the character a whole lot would probably like to use her again uh, if they can get the time from the actress. I'm sure they will find a way to use her again. But I think this story about the money is is good to go. I mean, I think it's done. I don't know. What about the nacho side of this story? Do you think that that comes back up at some point? In terms of him wanting to rip them off and now now that it's all done, he's going to feel like that's... Uh, that Saul burned him somehow, or Jimmy burned him somehow, or do you mean just Nacho in general? Yeah, do you feel like that part of the story is just also case closed? In terms of Nacho with the Kettleman's, I do think it's case closed. I think he stuck his hand a little too close to the fire. He realized he got burned, uh, and he knew the heat was on him, so he's kind of backed off. If the money disappears and they go down for it, he'll just feel like, oh, I missed out. But that said, you got to remember, the last thing he said to Jimmy basically even though Jimmy kind of told him, like, if anybody reported you, it was because they cared about those kids. The last thing he said to Jimmy was like, you ratted me out. There's going to be consequences. So I don't think we've seen the last of the consequences of, of Jimmy kind of telling Nacho and you know, telling on Nacho and kind of working how that whole thing went, went down. But I think as far as Nacho with this money, yeah, the aftermath, though, I think we're still going to see uh, something play out for sure. Okay. 
So the episode started off with a little bit of a follow-up from last week's, but really not much else about uh, last week's fantastic episode where we had the cop that came in that flew into Philly that had the relationship with Mike. We saw Mike and a lot of the shot was framed around these wanted photos. Uh, Antonio, was there any significance for you in terms of all the mug shots that we saw? Well, of course, I was watching him like a hawk uh, yes. to try to see if we could see anybody. Did you happen to see anybody turn up? I did see one person from the wanted photos. Again, I was st- I was paying more attention to the wanted photos than I was to the conversation. And when Saul goes into the bathroom and is uh, the guy that's at the urinal is a guy that is on one of those wanted photos. Yeah, he just kind of popped up in the background. I tell you what. I don't think Jimmy McGill was paying too close attention to those wanted photos because this guy's just walking around. Yeah. So do you think that that was just like a little bit of an Easter egg in this episode? Or do you think that guy is going to turn up to be a player this season? A play? Uh, I think that I think that it was probably an Easter egg. I don't know. Do Are we going to see a urinal player? Is that what we're going to see? I don't know. I mean, I'm sure tomorrow uh, we're going to have people who went through the screen caps and go through, you know, every single character in the history of Breaking Bad. But nobody really jumped out except for this one guy that shows up at the urinal. And I wonder if he's going to be a bigger figure in these final three episodes. Ah, bigger figure. I see what you did there. Yes. Yes. <laughs> I, I thought one of them might have been uh, your your uh, your favorite, Wendy. I thought one of them might have been all Wendy. Yeah. But uh, I couldn't get a very close look to find out if that was the case. Can't imagine she's really one of the most wanted people in Albuquerque. Well, well somebody wants her. Somebody. <laughs> somebody <laughs> Albuquerque's <laughs> least wanted. Yeah, somebody somebody wants her. So uh, I'm sure um, more information will come out uh, on that as it develops. But where do you think this Mike storyline is going? Well, uh, I do think that it's interesting that he left it to Stacy, knowing what we know about Mike uh, entering the Breaking Bad universe. Of course, he's not in jail, spoiler alert, and throughout Breaking Bad. So I, I got to think it goes pretty well with the daughter-in-law. Uh, but that's good of him to kind of to kind of leave it in her hands and feel like he said his piece to her and trust her. Uh, Mike Bloom and I got in this huge discussion last week about the timeline. We really, we had a few questions about it. And so we really kind of spent a lot of time talking about it. And I think ultimately the upshot is just that things were rocky for, for a period of time between Mike and that daughter-in-law and that things probably will be maybe better uh, now that he's kind of come clean to her a little bit and talked to her about exactly what happened, uh, leaving out the details of specifically what he did. Uh, I think that it, it's going to probably go better because he's given her that closure. So I think he'll be okay. As far as it goes, I think we got a great payoff to that storyline with Mike at the ad- latter part of this episode with the fact that he was left sort of owing Jimmy. And he's like, send me the bill, send me the bill, whatever. Uh, the bill came due in the form of that great caper that Jimmy asked Mike to pull off. So I'm hoping Mike can get in some more trouble and owe Jimmy some more favors because no matter how many of those they do, I'm going to love every single one of them. He's so good. He's so he's so great. It's just going through all these things and we saw it a bunch of times in Breaking Bad also. And Mike is really uh, just fantastic on the move because he's not really a like a small guy or fast like he's sort of like this big slow guy and he moves so slow, but he just uh, manages to get through all these things. Yeah. He's deliberate. I mean, I, the, I was thinking, you know, the lights go off in the Kettleman house in this caper and he's just kind of walking around like Batman, just doing what he wants, entering through a second floor window somehow and just kind of walking around up there, not seemingly with the care in the world about anybody finding him. Cause he's just such a bad dude. Like he just does whatever he wants. Mike is Mike is too cool, man. Yeah. He's really fun. So, in terms of this cop from Philly, I mean, where do you think that this story ultimately is going? Do you think that we're going to see Mike get into more hot water with this? I don't think so. I think, I mean, I think that this is the end of it. I think that it's the, the, the younger cop is sort of hot-headed. The older cop wants to calm him down. There's obviously a dynamic going on there. Uh, and like I said, we know that Mike doesn't end up in jail. And I have a feeling that Stacy is going to, the daughter-in-law is going to probably give Mike some, uh, or give the cops some kind of half story or a little bit of information uh, that will ultimately help them, I think, and uh, help them in terms of not getting Mike, but help them kind of put it to bed like the older cop wanted to do. Like, just say, look, she's going to tell us something, we're going to eliminate you, that'll be that. 
I don't know. Uh, so I think that's where we're going. I don't know. Do you think we're going to see more of this story? I think so, because we've introduced this other guy that flew in that seems to know Mike. I feel like we could have just like left it at a stone wall if this was going to be it. But the fact that we introduced this other character into the story and sort of he had sort of like an interesting introduction this week talking about, you know, jet lag and, and you know, there's just some rocks that we don't turn over. Um I felt like that that was sort of setting something else up because otherwise, where are we going these last three episodes, Antonio? It's a good question uh, because because the Kettleman seem to be kind of put to bed. Uh, I, like I said, we've got the nacho, the sort of nacho hanging over everybody's head. Uh, that's going to probably lead somewhere. Uh, and so that that'll be something we, we had a Chuck check this week. We checked in on Chuck, mm-hmm. but he seems to be getting better, uh, although he did kind of start peeking into those files. So I don't know exactly where that's going to end up i don't know if we're going to have a three episode arc here uh you're right if we're looking at kind of season long things to come into play i really think uh there isn't much uh that we can say the end of the first season story there really isn't anything like that so it could be any of these little things that are that are kind of the thing or it could be what begins next next episode will be the sort of race to the finish after these next you know the next couple so i don't really know uh where we're going but i I can see what you're saying about these these guys playing a bigger role, but I mean, look, we already know the full story with Mike as an audience. We there's no more information for us to get. Uh, there's more information for them to get, but we know they don't ultimately get it all. So, I, and we know Mike doesn't go on the run. So, I really don't know what more they could get out of this. Um, you know, Susan Appleby in the chat room saying two dead cops can't be ignored, and I think that's true. Although Susan, on the other hand, uh, the the older cop from tonight was basically saying, hey. A lot of people kind of are okay with the fact that that happened because that 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 precinct or that you know division or department was a cesspool, uh, and so maybe it's good to get those guys out. So I think there seems to be some prevailing kind of feeling that it may not have been the worst thing that happened, but this little guy, the younger guy's out to prove something. So maybe we will see more of him. All right, let's talk about the subplot with Kim and ultimately working on the Kettleman's case and trying to get them to take the deal, which they ultimately don't. They fire her. So, Antonio, do you think that Jimmy was going to purchase that office space just to get into the good graces of Kim? Oh, yeah. I mean, I think that the Jimmy's whole plan with the office was absolutely to uh, to try to court Kim. I mean, that was almost like a first date. He's kind of walking her around and kind of throwing out little, you know, little ideas or little entreaties to say, hey, let's do this. Let's do that. So I do feel like that that was uh, that whole thing was a was a plot. It was sort of like this is what we, we could be together. Like we could work together and we could have our firm. You and me, I'll give you the better office. This will be a great deal for you. So I do think that that was a that was a big part of his full court press to land her, uh, and she was impressed by it to to her credit. But it's asking her to put aside a lot uh, to get this done, and it ultimately uh, it's interesting that she's you know that he's ready to give all that up just uh, just for her. So I do think that it has it has mostly to do with her that he was pursuing it to begin with. So do you think that Jimmy is going to take this office space after all? Because it's not where he ends up being when we see him in the start of Breaking Bad. No, uh, my impression from the final scenes was that that was sort of him looking at what might have been. Uh, and that's why he was sort of angry and upset at the end, because it, it really was. I mean, if you look, he could have let her ultimately be in her take her what she said, her two year plan and turn it into a 10 year plan. Uh, in that situation, she's much more likely to go and join Jimmy uh, because it's more of a lateral move at that point. But he was willing to throw that away uh, for for her, for her personal, for what she wanted, uh, which was to make partner, be in good graces at HHM uh, and kind of do that. So I I think that this is it. I don't think he's taking this office space. I think we're still seeing Jimmy in the back of the nail salon uh, next episode for sure. I mean, is Jimmy doing that well? Should we take that at face value or was some of that office space funded by the Kettleman's uh, investment money? so to speak. Yes. Yeah. I, I think that, uh, yeah, just a little, little dirty money, a little funny money. Yeah. I, I think that, uh, I think that that lease, uh, were it paid with that money would be, uh, would be absolutely, absolutely paid with fraudulent money. I, I, I think that some of it too was aspirational. Like I honestly don't think the, the Jimmy McGill that we we're seeing here, he seems to have big ideas that he's not necessarily filling in all the blanks on. He seems to put up a billboard and, dress like McGill and he's going to run this stunt without necessarily knowing exactly where it will lead him. It leads him to elder law. That's just something that he started doing. 
Uh, but I don't think that was his plan when he put the billboard up. So I think he's the kind of guy that's that's aspirational. He's got these big ideas, but he's maybe not so hung up on the specifics of them, so to speak, uh, as, as Jimmy McGill, the lawyer. Um, you know, he's the kind of guy that he's run a lot of schemes and cons in his life. So I think he's ready to rock and roll in the moment uh, and kind of roll with the punches. And that's where he ends up. So I think he's the kind of guy that would have gotten that office without a lot of ability to pay for it and would have hustled his way into finding a way to pay for it. Do you think we see Jimmy and Kim together by the end of the season? Yeah, I, I mean, I do think that it's possible that we do. Um, it, it's, uh, it's something that, uh, that a lot of people have speculated might have already happened before this season. I don't think that's the case. I, I mean, it, I think that it's, it's possible. The first time we see her, we see her smoking there in the parking garage. We got a repeat of that scene in the episode tonight. Uh, and, and that's kind of something that there was obviously an unspoken relationship between the two of them the first time we saw her. But I think that the more was revealed, the more we found out that Jimmy had worked at the law firm in the past, in the mailroom, uh, maybe as a law clerk or as a runner, uh, some small lower role at that law firm. He knew everybody in there. His brother worked there. So I think he might have some kind of knowledge or relationship of, with her before that. But I mean, he calls her up for dates sometimes. They have this kind of weird relationship where they exist at arm's length. Uh, but the arms are always capable of being put around each other. So I, I think by the end of the season, we'll see a lot, a lot more closeness on that front. Yeah, there's an intimacy there, especially when he goes and he takes the cigarette that she's smoking and he starts taking a drag. Yeah, there's definitely a familiarity. If it's if it's not an intimacy that's already happened, I think it's one that uh, would be comfortable happening at some point. OK, so you think we could see a Saul Mance in the future? A saw a sawmancer. Yeah, we could have a sawmance. That's a good call. Okay. Maybe uh, maybe what would that be? Hashtag would that be would we ship them as Kimmy or, or Jim? I don't know. Or yeah. So, uh Saul Kim, like uh like so Kim. Okay. Saul Kim. <laughs> okay. Um let's do our Chuck check. Okay, we talked about uh Chuck was outside and he was trying to build up a tolerance uh to being outside and uh he describes it as taking a little bit of poison to try to uh, build up a tolerance to it. And Jimmy says that's not a thing. Yeah. Um, and I, and I think that's interesting because I feel like Jimmy should let him have this. I don't know. Didn't you think that this is sort of Chuck's way of you know, convincing himself it's okay to drop this? Yeah, it seems like it. I mean, he's building up a tolerance and it seems like that would be a progress towards getting better but i guess the question is does saul want chuck to get better well that's a good question uh he does bring those files there and i'm interested to know what you think the reasoning behind that is uh we we had speculated in the past and i think on the last podcast mike bloom and i talked about you know what our what our predictions were for the last kind of scenes of the season and what i said was that jimmy's going to get chuck committed and he's going to really kind of be focusing on on Chuck being there and kind of making that decision. And that's going to be with Chuck kind of incapacitated and committed and medicated or whatever. Uh, he's going to maybe start to go closer to Saul Goodman that we know because Jimmy, uh, or because Chuck is a lot of people think is Jimmy's conscience. And with his conscience out, you know, unconscious, then, then maybe he'll go there. Uh, so maybe he doesn't want to, because that's as long as Chuck's out of capacity, Jimmy's got the ability to work HHM uh, and, and kind of work against them via Chuck. On the other hand, I'm quite sure he's sick of putting up with Chuck. Like, I'm quite sure he's not happy with the routine. So uh, maybe he would be okay with Chuck going back to work in that scenario. I don't know. I, what do you think? Do you think that, that Jimmy wants Chuck to stay incapacitated like this? Well, I think that part of it that we saw tonight was dropping off those file folders at Chuck's place so that Chuck could start working on Jimmy's work, a la George McFly and Biff. Do you think that, that was part of Saul's uh, or Jimmy's end game here? Come on, Chuck. I can't hand this in in your handwriting. I got to have time to recopy. Yeah. Think. Think, Chuck. Think. Think, Chuck. Think. You know what happened if I handed in those wills in your handwriting? I would get fired. You wouldn't want that to happen, would you? Yeah. Your, your no, space I, blanket's untied. Uh, uh, <laughs> <laughs> I think that I almost laughed like Biff there. That was rough. I uh, I don't know. I think that uh, I think that it's he definitely wants Chuck's out. He he casually kind of says, "Oh, I got those four thirteens. I have to sign." He purposefully uses the wrong number of the form. Like I think that he knows that uh, 
that Chuck's going to help him out with this stuff and Chuck's going to dig up anything worth digging up out of those files. And it's also going to keep Chuck happy and occupied. And look, Chuck is by all accounts, a very good lawyer. So it's always a good person. If you're starting your practice, they have in your corners, a great older mentor who can kind of help you out. I mean, it's probably inappropriate for Chuck to be doing this if he's still really working at HHM, but uh, nobody's got to know, right? They're in the house. It's fine. Now, we saw two different times in the episode, and I can't imagine that it was a coincidence of Saul moving around boxes of files with a hand truck. Um, we saw in the one scene where he brings the files to Chuck, he has a smaller hand truck. When he's taking the files from McGill, he has a big hand truck. Do you think that there's any significance to that, that two shots of Jimmy with a hand truck in different parts of the episode? This is a hand truck check. hand <laughs> truck and truck I, I mean, check. Yes. I'm okay with that. Uh, I don't know. Is he going to be pushing around Mike like Hannibal Lecter in some episode? I don't know. Uh, but I feel like that there has to be something with moving these files around. Yeah. He, he, the I, I thought the Kettleman's thing was mainly to kind of underscore just what kind of, you know, physical representation of exactly the mess that he was taking on. Uh, because at the beginning of the season, all he wanted, he was so desperate for the Kettleman's. That's all he wanted. Uh, and now when you actually look at it, when it comes down to brass tacks or when you see it, quote unquote, on paper, I think it, it's obvious that it's a lot to take these people on. It is literally banker's box after banker's box of files. And then Kim underscores that when he brings the files out by saying, oh, they have him so dead to rights. He wrote checks to himself for expenses like this is a, a such an obvious embezzlement case. And so I think that the that at least the Kettleman files are are meant to represent that. I mean, I do think it's interesting that he brought the files in uh, to Chuck's house again. I think that's by means of saying, look, there were so many files. I'm doing so well that I had to move them all with a hand truck. I couldn't just carry a box in and sit it down. It's this many files. So I think that's a big part of it is in one scene, he's using the hand truck to make an impression on Chuck. And in another, the hand truck is out to make an impression on Jimmy. Okay. Uh I want to bounce around and talk about a couple things. Uh, one of like the shots that. tonight in the episode was a shot very conspicuously. Was was that a, a caterpillar coming out of a cocoon or going into one? I felt like it was emerging from a cocoon uh, myself. I don't know. What did you think? Well, I feel like, uh, you know, that's, that's the case. I didn't stop and go back, but I uh, definitely was a caterpillar and a cocoon. Um, and... Is the, is that a very uh, opaque reference to Jimmy at this point? Is Jimmy the caterpillar? Or is it Chuck? Because it's right before we go into Chuck's house and we see he's literally emerged from his cocoon, uh, whether it's space blanket or whether it's couch. Uh, he's literally emerging from his cocoon and soaking up the sunlight uh, like like something might. So I don't know. Uh, I don't know who's going to really reach, reach, reach chrysalis. Maybe this is another Silence of the Lambs thing. Maybe the hand truck. Uh, and and the the worm maybe that's all part and parcel. Maybe we're going to get Hannibal Lecter by the end. It's going to be a crossover with the TV show <laughs> Hannibal. Wow, we're going to get Will Graham. That's going to be one of uh, his clients. Is Will Graham? Who knows? Hannibal coming back? Uh, yeah. So very interesting that we uh, got that shot of the butterfly in the cocoon. Um, when we were going through the sort of uh, so Jimmy ends up going through his legal books, uh, and he gets to the E chapter and he's trying to get to embezzlement but he stops at electricity before he gets to embezzlement it can't be a coincidence right no that's a good catch rob i i i kind of didn't even think about the significance of that when i was watching it um but i don't think that's a coincidence at all i think that there's uh there's definite uh I think like the guy in the background like the uh like the like the urinal the urinal's most wanted guy I do think that that's there for a reason. And it's not just because electricity comes before embezzlement in the alphabet. I mean, maybe it's a happy coincidence, but they didn't have to show it. Okay. So if Chuck is some sort of representation of Jimmy's conscience, what does the electricity have to do with this? You shock the conscience. Shock the conscience. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. I, the thing is like, uh, so let's say for a second that, that Chuck is, is Jimmy's conscience. And I'm not sure that he's like a Jiminy cricket kind of thing, uh, where he's, he's literally that, like, I think it's something in, in the mold of Chuck represents 
the good that Jimmy could be. Chuck is the one driving Jimmy to be good. Chuck is the one pulling for Jimmy to be good. Chuck is the one pushing Jimmy in that direction, all of those things. And, and if Chuck kind of disappears from the picture, he doesn't have that angel sitting on his shoulder. Uh, he just has everything else that's his natural sort of desire for being that, that Chuck can kind of help influence. But once Chuck's out of the picture, the real Jimmy McGill comes out and maybe he does emerge from his cocoon. Uh, and so I think that that's, I think that's a big part of it is, is like saying, you know, if Chuck's his conscience, then anything negative that happens to Chuck, especially something that Jimmy's responsible for, uh, is something that ultimately will shock the conscience uh, and will really put Jimmy in a position where he's forced to evaluate who he really is. Okay. Let's uh, touch on some of these episode titles uh, for season one, Antonio. Now, tonight's episode was called Bingo. Uh, there's been a lot that people are saying about these episode titles. Uh, they are through season one. We have Uno, uh, Miho, Nacho, Hero, Alpine Shepherd Boy, <laughs> Five O, Bingo was tonight's episode. And then the next three episodes are Rico, Pimento, and Marco. Uh, all one words, all ending with the letter O, with the exception of Alpine Shepherd Boy. We know Vince Gilligan has played around with episode titles before in Breaking Bad. What does it mean, Antonio? Well, I don't know about everything ending in O per se. It is weird that there's that there's the outlier. A lot of people, and, and it's sort of kind of been discussed on the internet a little bit, that they wanted to title that episode Jello, uh, because in the episode there is a scene where uh, Jimmy's kind of wandering around the uh, the nursing home while the third man theme is playing on the zither and the strings, and he's sort of flitting around like, okay, everybody eat, have go, oh, take care of yourself, and you see they're eating this jello, and his face or his logo is on the bottom of the jello, and so for many reasons, not the least of which is that I think they wanted to call that episode jello, but I think that the jello brand didn't necessarily want to be uh, associated with Nita Will call McGill. Well, yeah, because if there's anything that the jello brand is going to be sensitive to, it's appearing on uh, Better Call Saul. That's their their biggest image problem uh, at this point in time. Are you are you are you making never, a reference to uh, Mr. Cosby, sir? They've never been associated with anything else that's been bad. Uh, Better Call Saul would be would hurt their image. Time to call a lawyer. I can't do Cosby. <laughs> Yeah, uh, for a food product, uh, they have no spokespeople that have been associated with drugging people with various food items. <laughs> Better Call Saul would be a major be a, hit to their image. This would be a step up for them. You know what I mean? It's like, hey, we we hired a lawyer. <laughs> it's fine. We lawyered up. We're good now. Yes. We're protected. We called McGill. Yeah. Um, so do you think that Alpine Shepherd Boy, you think that it, it's less significance that Alpine Shepherd Boy has a different title because they probably intended to it. And then for various reasons, they were forced into another name. So do you think that this could just be their naming convention a la Friends, the one with or a la Seinfeld of the or whatever other naming conventions other shows have that theirs is just going to be everything ends with O? Yeah, I don't know about everything, but maybe this first season. And I don't know exactly why that might be. If It, it could well be that it's just for fun. I mean, you if you listen to Vince Gilligan or read interviews with him, a lot of the stuff they do really is for fun. Uh, throwing in the, the Easter eggs and making things connect and uh, kind of rewarding the people who are watching closely. They, a lot of that's just for fun for them. So uh, there could be some deeper meaning. Obviously, in season two, there was deeper Breaking Bad. There was a deeper meaning to the episode titles with 737 down over in Albuquerque. Um, those were obviously uh, that obviously revealed uh, the season mystery. So uh, good for, good on them for really playing that out. It would be very hard to top that. That said, if the last episode of this season is called Marco, does that mean the next episode of the first of the this is called Polo? Is that what we're going to get? Inevitably, yes. Yes. So someone's going to kind of go missing or something, or maybe they're going to be in a swimming pool like on the edge. I don't know what's happening. They could go to like some sort of polo match also. Oh, yeah. Some New Mexico polo. It's very popular <laughs> down there. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I don't know if there's any coincidence here or anything that uh, connects this, but when uh, Saul was the caller in Bingo, he also called O70. Uh, so again, another mention of O. 
Yeah. So what what could this be then? If they're all ending in O, obviously there's there's the you know there's the Latin connection, whether it's Italian, whether it's Spanish. There's the ending in a vowel thing that's happening there, and it's New Mexico, so there's definitely some connection. Uh, but beyond that, I don't know what the significance of Saul Goodman or Gene uh, or Jimmy is with the letter O or with maybe the O shape, the zero. I don't know. I don't know what the deal with that is, or why that would possibly be connected to the character. I haven't uh, spitballed any theories. I'd love to hear them. If you guys have them, uh, please leave us comments, tweet at us, hit us up in the chat room. Let us know if you guys have any theories for why they're all ending in O, besides something fun. Uh, but there, there may be some significance to that that we're not picking up on. Okay. Uh, the episode ends with the phone ringing, and we don't get to see or hear who is on the phone. Antonio. It, which also ends with O. Uh, Antonio. I don't, know, I don't know what you're talking <laughs> and so, about. Right? And, so, and so does uh, Mazzaro and Sesternino. Uh, not, we're not in on this. We're not in on this. Not a conspiracy. <laughs> yes. Uh, <laughs> I'll go by Roberto for the rest of the podcast of Better Call Saul. <laughs> Roberto Sesternino. Okay. okay. So the is the phone call significant or is it just like uh, left for us to be assuming that, hey, it's business is continuing on? Yeah, the way I took it was that I took it that like it's really hard. He's having this emotional moment. Uh, and even then he has to put on airs like he's got a secretary and he has to do the the low offices of James McGill voice again, the little lilt uh, and the happy sort of uplifting accent. He's got to put on airs and act like business never stops when you're when you're self-employed, Rob. I, I think, you know, a little something about that, that, right? Yeah, yeah. So he's just got to he's just got to forge on no matter what's going on in his personal life. And no matter how upset he is about where he's at, he's got to just keep on pressing on. And I think it's kind of uh, it's a twist of the knife a little bit that he has to just adopt that accent. It's not like Chuck is calling or something has happened. This is another prospective client. He's just got to put on airs again. Okay. Um, anything else from the episode before we jump into some of the questions? What about Felix and Oscar? You want to talk about Felix and Oscar? <laughs> Yes, uh, Felix and Oscar the cat. Do you think that we will see an appearance from them? I, I wish. I mean, we, what's the what's the name of the uh, the guinea pig on House of Cards? <laughs> that was the runaway cashew. Kind of star. Cashew. cashew. Yeah, I feel like uh, I feel like other shows are probably looking at Cashew's runaway success and thinking <laughs> we could only just work in some weird animal character. We'll be fine. Yeah, the fantastic. Um, <laughs> we also had Coco Bolo. That's another O. Didn't think about that. Coco Bolo. Yeah, he just likes the sound of it. I think he said. Yeah, yeah. He doesn't even I know mean, what it is. I, I, I and I, the other thing I want to talk to you about, Rob, is I don't know. You guys get. I'm not going to make too much noise here, but if you're watching live, you can see this microphone I've got here. What do I have to do, Rob, to get one of those Bob Barker mics from you, like like Jimmy had at the bingo hall? <laughs> I don't know. Do they make those? I mean, <laughs> somebody got one for Jimmy McGill. I need one, Rob. Somebody got one, but it's supposed to be 2002. I'm not sure if they have a USB version of that. I'm not sure. Uh, it's too bad. If I could get one, that would be fantastic. <laughs> if not, I'll take a recording of Rod Roddy introducing me. Yes. So uh, we'll see. We'll see if we can get that. But that might be a little difficult, Antonio. <laughs> yeah, well, it'd be a nice tie in with Jesse Pinkman. So we'll be good to go. <laughs> OK. Um, in terms of uh, anything else uh, from the episode, uh, I think we pretty much covered all of the uh, major things. Uh, Mike eats an apple as he watched the Cattlemen's in the backyard. Any significance to that? I don't think we're looking, we're dealing with the forbidden fruit situation. I mean, we can monitor that going forward. He's probably just trying to stay regular that Mike, there's a lot of, uh, a lot of good stuff for you in Apple. So I think that uh, Jimmy mentions that at one point in this episode. So Mike's probably just, I think he's packing a lunch, man. Like this is, this is Mike. He is there for as long as it takes. He's got himself a transistor radio, a little headphone. Uh, he's got a room. He's got everything he needs really to kind of uh, set up shop there and just wait for his opportunity. So I think the Apple's just like, Hey, I'm here for the long haul. Uh, I, I got to think, though, that uh, that this is Jimmy's got to find ways to get Mike in his debt some more because that's too good, man. Having him on your team is like it's like Harvey Keitel in Pulp Fiction. He's a he's a cleaner. Yeah, he really yeah. is. And he moved a bunch of cleaner aside tonight to find that money. I thought that was interesting. That's true. Any significance to it being a baseball game that he was listening to? I don't know. You tell me. Was it the Mets? No, I don't think it was. Is he coming from Philly, right? Or is he coming from Pittsburgh? Yeah, but I don't think he's listening to uh, Philly baseball on Albuquerque AM radio. I don't think yeah, he's got know. like the satellite radio package in 2002. <laughs> I don't know who he's got out there in uh, in Albuquerque. I don't know who Unless he knows. Mark Cuban. Up. Yeah. I don't yeah. know. 
Um, so yeah, maybe is it a minor league game? I didn't recognize any of the names. No, I didn't either. I have no idea. Uh, he, maybe he's listening to, uh, who's maybe he's got a good hookup here. Maybe hey, he's high to the yeah. steroid era. Yeah. He's, he's, uh, he's probably interested in some, uh, some records chasing going on. <laughs> the ball Doubtful. is juiced. The ball we had, is our, juiced. We, had a, we had a movie reference tonight, Rob. We've been tracking that throughout the season. Uh, and there's always Jimmy McGill is a, I don't know. We've never seen him watching a movie. He's talked about watching movies an awful lot. Uh, but tonight's reference was, <laughs> he referred to dealing with the Kettleman's as it's the 25th hour starring Ned and Maude Flanders. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So 25th hour was your reference for the night. Yeah. Um, who, who would have thought that uh, Jimmy McGill is like a regular Abed in, uh, in this series? Yeah, exactly. He's just, you know, he's maybe he's got a dreamatorium in the back of that uh, in the back of that nail salon there where he he becomes Don Draper at night. Who knows? OK, uh, let's go ahead and uh, jump into some of the questions uh, from tonight's show. And uh, let's start off with uh, Chip Chipperson, who says, uh, so tonight the show found its identity, right? They mixed in everything in the humor, gritty drama department and endeared us to all the characters. Brilliant. Do you think was tonight the coming out party for Better Call Saul? It's tough. We we talked about this last week. Uh, Mike Bloom was not so on. He loved the episode like the uh, the episode was universally loved by all, it seems. But he didn't necessarily feel that great about it because he felt like, well, what is this show? I mean, is it the show that we just watched with this great long character backstory of a character that we traded so much on from another show? Is it the show we've been watching with Jimmy McGill and it's some funny, some dangerous and he's talking his way in and out of trouble? I don't know. So I think Chip may be onto something here. I'm not sure that this was necessarily Saul Prime, but I do think that uh, that it's a show finding its stride when it can do exactly what uh, Mr. Chipperson said, uh, which is mix in all those elements. We've got a little bit of the caper with Mike. We've got a little bit of the, the gritty stuff. We got Chuck, but it wasn't a bad Chuck. Everything was sunny and happy. So uh, we even got a good Chuck scene. So I think we're I think we're we're doing well here. Yeah. I do feel like still there's a couple separate shows going on here where there's the, you know, Saul and Chuck show. I feel like there's the Saul at work show, which is more of a comedic uh, show. Then there's the show we saw last week, uh, which is the Mike show, which I really feel like uh, other than some rare times where they're on the same page, I feel like that's still a different show that I'm watching. Yeah, I mean, I agree. And and I talked about, you know, how last week was an episode that this show can really do time from time to time uh, because it was trading on so much of what we already had established with Breaking Bad. But there's not too many of those kind of bullets in this chamber. So they have to be very careful. I think tonight's episode was a lot more like the bullets they have in their chamber. A lot of this story was about Kim. We had a lot of we had a lot of what's going on with Jimmy. We had a lot of what's going on with Mike. Uh, we had a little bit of Chuck. So tonight's episode was much more representative, I think, of what we can expect the series to be than last week. Yeah. And I'll still say of those three types of shows that we talked about, the the Mike show is still my favorite of those three shows. Yeah, uh, mine too. But uh, but it's not necessarily as a slight to the others. Uh, I I'm enjoying what we're watching in these other in these other veins. Uh, but of course, the mic is 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 the high high. But there aren't many shows on television that can. I mean, there are very few, if any, shows on television that can give us the episode they gave us last week. So if most of the time we're getting the show we get this week, and occasionally we're getting that show last week, I'm a very happy guy. Okay. Let's go to another question. This one is from Jason. Jason wants to know, yes or no, two backstory seasons. Uh, season three bleeds to Breaking Bad and four and five are post Cinnabon. Um, do you think that that is going to be the blueprint for Better Call Saul? It's hard for me to see two seasons post Cinnabon right now, uh, only because I don't know who exists in that world uh, yeah. that we that we have left to trade on. Uh, I think if we knew that Chuck and Kim and some of these other characters we're spending a lot of time with now survive into the future in that world, uh, then it might be much easier to see this show as a show that could exist for two more seasons after Gene. I feel like once we go there, uh, unless we've got a lot of people that are still around from the show we've featured, it's going to be hard. Uh, to kind of bridge that gap. I think the show's going to naturally want to get there at some point, but but 
I don't know about two seasons worth. I don't know. Is that, is that how you're tracking it too? No, I don't think so. I don't think we're going to get any seasons. Uh, maybe like I could see like the final season being like the final season of lost where we're spending more time in like flash forward into the post, uh, world. But I think that better call Saul will be primarily about what happens prior to breaking bad with some flash forwards along the way. I think what you would have to have to see happen is the, uh, you know, career following Breaking Bad of Aaron Paul would have to seriously go into the toilet and have something seriously go wrong where Aaron Paul is like, hey, let me sign on here for a couple of seasons of <laughs> of Better Call Saul, uh, which was... Yeah, did you did you miss the fact that he was in the Need for Speed, Rob? Well, hey, we're we're off to a good start. I, I believe this was similar to what happened to uh, Michael Dorn's career, which was why he had to sign on for several seasons of uh, Deep Space Nine. Yeah, uh, and you maybe you maybe <laughs> right he was going to be huge. I think. Yeah, uh, <laughs> well, and I think that David Caruso tried to leave uh, some TV, and he ended up back with what CSI Miami. So uh, it doesn't well, always work out the way these people want it to. Basically, uh, this is what they call the Dustin Diamond, uh, where uh, <laughs> after you have to go beyond say by the Bell, the new class. Are you saying that we're going to get a Jesse Pinkman sex tape? Yes. <laughs> okay. All right. I'm just going to sign up for the waiting list for that one. <laughs> <laughs> I like that I combined uh, Aaron Paul, Michael Dorn, and Dustin Diamond all in uh, one analogy. You did a really good job with that. <laughs> and, I, and honestly, the through line is not as distant as I thought it would have been before you started that. Yeah. <laughs> Stand but true tale. Uh, Stand but right. true tale. Chris Berger says he's swirling, Rob. His movie bombed. Okay. I think he's still got a shot, Chris. I think he's still got a shot. I, I want nothing but the best for, for Aaron Paul, for the record. Uh, let me give you this next question, though. Speaking of movies, Rob, are you ready for this ready. one? This is from Jason Riot Maker, and Jason asks, how well would the Kettlemans have done in the Goodfellas world? <laughs> Boy, uh, I don't know. That's a tough question to answer. I mean, they didn't rat. They didn't rat. Is her name Karen? It would be so good if her name, Karen, Karen. It didn't take the money, Karen. It would be so good. Yeah, they didn't flush Karen, the money down the toilet. Yeah. They didn't flush the money down. The, they didn't get caught. They didn't rat on their friends. They might, uh, might have to go into witness protection. That might work. I I don't know. I feel like they, they get a couple scenes with uh, with Tommy uh, and Jimmy. That that will be the end of Mr. Kettleman. Mrs. Kettleman might be able to hang, though. Are we going to see Mr. Kettleman like in jail in the next episode, like making sauce? There's some spaghetti noodles, some, some noodles and ketchup, you know? Yeah, yeah, um, possibly. Yeah, this might be a bad deal for him. We had a good thing going in this jail. We could get anything we wanted. All right. Uh, let's go to John Trevelin, who says, uh, uh, Antonio, what's your social security number? It's uh five, one, three, four, one. Oh, sorry. I was giving out John's phone number. I apologize for that. <laughs> wow. Can't do that on a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, what about this question from Gary Hartman says a great meeting with you both, uh, after know it all's live last week. My question, how did Jimmy know to ask Mike to do the dirty work? Uh, just get a sense about that guy. Don't you? Yeah. I think so. How did Mike, how did Mike know to ask Jimmy to do the pump, the bump and dump? Yeah. Um, now, I, I'm just very curious about Mike's background, because to this point that we know Mike has just been a dirty cop, but Mike doesn't seem to have uh, at least done the things that we know he will do by the time we get to Breaking Bad. Is that is that fair to say? Like, uh, I know the last time you and I talked, we, there were more questions about what's Mike's background to this point. But do we take Mike's story at face value that he was just a cop? And a, a dirty cop to this point, but not necessarily like the assassin that he is going to become by the time Breaking Bad comes along. I think so. I don't know that he is as kind of uh, as kind of far gone as he will possibly get. I think he's very jaded, uh, and I think that he feels very let down by himself uh, and by the system that kind of ground his son out. And so I think that 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 kind of jaded burnout kind of guy that's in his position um, is is in sort of a dangerous spot. Like uh, you'll you'll notice last week, I thought this was a great scene when he's in the cab uh, and the cab driver's like, where do you want to go? And Mike's like, how well do you know this town? And the cab driver's like, I know it pretty well. And he's like, you know, it real well. And then he ends up at the dirty veterinarian's office. This guy's trying to throw pain pills at him. He, I mean, Mike refuses him over and over. And the guy's like, still like, ah, just take a couple, just take a couple pain pills. You know, so this dirty vet, like I got a feeling that, uh, that Mike knows who to ask and, and what to ask uh, to find his way into the sort of underworld if he wants to find it. And so my question, I guess, really is, 
um, it isn't so much like how did how did Jimmy know uh, to ask Mike? Because, you know, Mike knew to ask Jimmy. I think that these two kind of can smell each other out a little bit. My question is, are we in the in the series going to follow Mike's odyssey on his own? Or are we going to see him only kind of interacting with Jimmy? So are we going to see him doing things with Jimmy at Jimmy's request and that? Or are we actually going to see Mike kind of forging off on his own and finding his way into the kind of underworld, the criminal underworld of Albuquerque? Uh, and I think that that will be the interesting thing for me to track. That's, that's what I'm looking for going forward is how much Mike's doing on his own because he wants to do it and how much he's doing it uh, because, you know, he and Jimmy are kind of staying squared. He's helping him out. and They're helping each other out. My bigger question for you, Antonio, is do you think that we will see the dirty vet again with Felix and Oscar this season? <laughs> or Cashew. Maybe we're going to have a crossover. Like, Cashew's just going to pop up. She was in Santa Fe, right? Oh, wait. No, that's not exactly that. Now, so, I'd like uh, to cut entitlements to all the guinea pigs that they are making <laughs> that, uh, that <laughs> Obamacare has ruined everything as far as guinea pig medicine. Good veterinarians can't even do their jobs, Rob. <laughs> Your guinea pig is entitled to nothing. Okay, uh, <laughs> you just you just missed doing Frank Underwood because House of Cards is over. It's over. I it was, like I get to do an impression for for thirteen days, and that's it. You you were, it's over, and you were just getting started. Yes, I know it's terrible. Yeah, well, I I uh, I gotta say, I I think we're gonna get more of Mike uh, kind of nosing his way through the underworld in, in Albuquerque there, and he may be bringing clients to Jimmy is what I'm I'm thinking is gonna happen, uh, and I guess we'll just see how that plays out. Okay, a couple more questions, real quick. Uh, Johnny De Silvera, uh, speaking of House of Cards, says, uh, "How were the Kettlemans able to stash all that money after Jimmy caught them before the authorities arrived?" It's a good question. Did they put it on that remote control uh, truck and drive it upstairs? Mm, I'm not sure. No, were the Kettleman's home when Mike went in their house? See, that's the thing. I don't. If if I, I if it happened, I missed it. I did not see them leave. I saw them finding the money on the remote control car. Uh, he comes inside, shows her. She kind of sits the kids down and really gives them what for. Then she goes upstairs to to kind of put the money away. All the lights in the house go out. Then sometime later that night, I assume while they sleep, Mike is walking in there and pulls the money out. Uh, and I, I feel like that's how it went down. Uh, and I think that they were home and just in bed sleeping when that happened. So Mike really had the case that joint out pretty good. And, you know, it's, it's thankful. I'm thankful. Everybody has to be pretty happy that the Kettleman's live in a house that is so visible from the side. Like you can literally see almost the entire house from Great one shot, side. Though. It was, sh you know, re really interestingly shot that you could see the lights go on. It's like a rear window of every single room in the house had windows. They could watch what they were happening. Yeah, yeah, that was, uh, you're right, Rear Window's a good call. And Rear Window, by the way, will be in theaters this week. Whoa, really? Yeah, it's being, being re-released. I think it's on the 22nd and the 25th. I'm not working for AMC or anything, but uh, but uh, well worth, if you haven't seen it, go out to the theater on one of those two days and check it out. It's one of my favorites. AMC, the show, the channel that broadcasts Better Call Saul? Uh, I was thinking of the, uh, the theater uh, chain AMC owned by Magic Johnson. Are they related? I my not boss. I don't think that they're, uh, I don't think they're related at all. No, Interesting. maybe they are. And I'm just not sure. Okay. Um, all right. Let's do two more questions. Uh, Riot, Riot maker says, uh, who else started, uh, who else stared at that wanted wall to see a familiar face? I know I did hands up here for sure. Like, uh, like you said, you did Rob. I, I feel like the internet is probably yeah. maddeningly capping the screens right now. Uh, and just really looking at all these people, uh, the, the, the flip side of this is uh, this may be the sort of rogues gallery, like uh, like in a in a Batman comic where Batman's going to visit the Joker in Arkham Asylum or something. And he walks past all these other people that are there uh, that might pop up in a story later on. Like these are people that just might show up later. Like mm. we already saw one. We already saw the. Uh, the guy at the, the most wanted guy at the urinal. So, I mean, a hand, I, there's just all bets are off as to where these other people pop. Up. So you feel good about the career prospects of anybody who had their headshot on the wall of appearing in future episodes of Better Call Saul. That's interesting. I, I feel like that's a that's a decent chance that, that a couple of those people are going to. This is Vince Gilligan we're talking yeah. about. They're not just going to, you know, you thought the fact that we saw the guy in the bathroom means we might see him again. I think that's true. It's possible. I think it's also possible anyone we saw on that wall is fair game for sure. Because, you know, it wasn't just that they were in a room where the wanted signs were on the wall. The shot was framed where the conversation that was happening was barely in the shot. Yeah. And the wanted signs were framed like they were the important part of the conversation. 
as opposed to like we were just seeing like almost like the neck and shoulders of the two people that were talking. Yeah, in some ways, I did wonder if it was like they were foreshadowing like this wanted wall will someday have just the faces of Mike and, and Jimmy on it as well. Uh, and they're going to be on this wanted wall. Their faces are just in the shot right here. They're a big part of this rogues gallery. They're criminals living in the city uh, and they will be on this most wanted wall at some point. I, I didn't know if that was the suggestion, but you're right. The The framing of the shot was such that something was going on there for sure. OK, and last question of the night here. Uh, Raymond uh, Yamarillo says, when will we see Gus? That's a good question. Uh, I, I gotta, I gotta say, uh, I gotta say that. I, I mean, I think we will see Gus. Are we on the same page with that? I think we will. I don't. If we see him at all, I think it's like the last shot of season one. And you think he's, they're just gonna walk into Poyos like uh, and just order some chicken or something? Mm, I'm not sure, but I feel like uh, it will be in an episode entitled Poyo. Uh, uh, is there is one called Poyo coming up, isn't there? No, it, I, I don't think it's Poyo. I think it okay. is. I mean, there probably is one coming up in season two, uh, but it's Rico, Pimento, and Marco. Ah, okay, Polo. Yes, <laughs> that, that's the season two premiere. Polo, got it, got it. Yeah, Polo. <laughs> oh yeah, that's not no. And then season two, episode two is Poyo. Is Poyo right? <laughs> we're we're building, and then and then I don't oh, know yeah. what is after that. Another yeah. another. Oh, so you think the there. season two premiere? You think it'd be Marco Poyo? Marco Poyo. Yeah, it's like, uh, Marco, I've got chicken. That could, this could happen. Like, that could be, it could be like a, uh, I don't know. It's, it's, uh, it's something where, where I, I agree with you that we could see him right at the end of the season. Uh, and that seems like we could get this sort of dramatic entrance of Gus Fring. But I think it's far more likely that the first time we're going to brush characters with one of those big three from Breaking Bad, uh, those being Walt, uh, Jesse, and, and Gus, that it's just going to be kind of a background thing. Uh, and it's going to be a really chilling moment, uh, but it's not going to be something that drives the narrative forward right away. It's going to be something that evolves over time. Yeah. Uh, and so, yeah, I think that's that's the first look we're going to get for sure. At some point, we will see Walter White. At some point, we will see Jesse Pinkman, but not for a while. Right. I think that's right. Yes. All right. And Gus probably Gus probably sooner because Gus was involved in some way. You know, uh, Saul knew about Gus before uh, before that he was the one who kind of set Walter up with him. So there's some story to be told for sure about how Saul knew about Gus when he became Saul. Uh, and so Jimmy meeting, you know, Saul, meeting Gus is, is going to happen at some point. Yes. All right, Antonio. Great job tonight. I have some options for you for a hashtag for tonight's show. Let's hear it. I'm glad you were keeping track. Okay. I try to keep tra- I try to keep track. Uh, all right, here are your options. Uh, you tell me. You tell me what you like. Okay, we have uh, uh, the uh, <laughs> the proposed uh, Mike uh, spinoff. I I like Mike. I like Mike. Uh, we right. have we have two options uh, for the romantic uh, entanglements of Saul. We have either Saul Mance or Saul Kim. Saul Kim is pretty good. That's uh, going to be tough to beat. I like your your uh, recurring phrasing of Rogues Gallery. Uh, yeah. I like that as well. Uh, we have also uh, Marco Pollo. <laughs> and I feel like finally, we need to keep that one in our pocket. We need to keep Marco Pollo in our and pocket. And finally, we have my new proposed uh, breaking, <laughs> breaking, uh, or better call Saul podcasting name, uh, Roberto Sesternino. <laughs> I don't know. Anybody in the chat room have an opinion on this? I kind of feel like uh, I like Saul Kim myself. Saul Kim. All right. There yeah. you go. All Kim is your hashtag here. And now, Antonio, only three weeks left to go. Can you believe it? I can't believe it. I'm, I'm getting a little sentimental already, Rob. I'm getting a little choked up. I, I really feel like this has gone by very fast. Um, so seven weeks down, only three more to go here. And then we'll be in the uh, Better Call Saul hiatus. Yeah, we're going to be in the, the break. I don't know. I don't know how I'm going to take this break. I'm just going to rewatch Breaking Bad. Time jump in between seasons, you think? I think it's possible. I was just going to say, as, as I was thinking about, like, we're going to find out, you know, where Saul meets Gus. The thing to keep in mind about this series, and the news may change at any point, but right now it is fully renewed for season two, which is kind of rare uh, for a TV show to know at the beginning of season one that it's getting a second season. Uh, AMC's in this mode right now where Mad Men's gone off, going off the air, Breaking Bad's gone off the air. Like, they're having to add programming and keep good programming around. So, I have a feeling Saul will get an early renewal on season three, but as far as it goes, I think they knew they had season two when they were writing season one. So I think they've saved a lot for season two. 
So I think they could time jump it. Uh, and I think they might have just been spending some time getting to know these characters now. And we might have a couple of year time jump uh, at the be- be- you know the beginning of season two. But that said, if we do too much of a time jump, we are right smack dab in the middle of the Breaking Bad universe. So I think they have to be pretty careful with that. Of course, uh, we have Better Call Saul, the Breaking Bad spinoff. Uh, the Walking Dead spinoff, I believe, has also already been greenlit for a season two. Will there be a Mad Men spinoff coming to AMC sometime in the near future? Oh, my gosh. Is this the Pete Campbell? It would be Pete Campbell's in L.A. centric. <laughs> yeah. He takes L.A. So many, so many different things uh, that you could do on the Pete, Breaking Pete Bad. Pete goes to the Valley. Yeah. Yeah, yeah that'd be good. Uh, um, I would I would be all for that. I would watch Pete Campbell in the 70s gallivanting around L.A. with his realtor friend. Yeah, it'd be very fun. OK, uh, Sally Draper in the 70s. Oh, man, that would be pretty solid. Yeah. Better call Sally. That would be pretty su- I was thinking better call Sally early. <laughs> yeah, like, that's exactly like I I was hoping that we would get a we would get some Sally Draper, uh, you know, growing up in the Mad Men series so it'd be nice to see a spinoff i'm all for amc spinoffs because their original programming recently doesn't it doesn't seem to be doing too well okay. no winter sun i don't know like that's <laughs> no thanks all right uh so you don't want to see uh halt uh, and catch uh, and, and call fire <laughs> no no i'd like to see low winter saul i would watch that show <laughs> but halt, halt and call fire not so much uh no no not so much and then there's i i, I just call the killing <laughs> <laughs> all right breaking turn yeah no thanks. no thanks i don't want to see these shows the okay. walking dead is fine the walking dead spinoff is fine better call saul is fine we can't get too far afield amc let's keep let's rein it in rein it in all right so antonio great job tonight of course uh, follow antonio on twitter he's at ac mazzaro looking forward to hearing what you guys have to say in the comments uh thanks scott st pierre great job as per usual and we'll talk to you guys next monday night for episode eight uh which is entitled uh which rico rico, rico. suave that's right Good. Could be a name, could be racketeering, organized crime, could be anything. Could be Uncle Rico. Could be Uncle Rico throwing a football across the desert. <laughs> Over them, then their mountains. That's yes. right. <laughs> All right. Uh, take care. Have a good one, everybody. Bye.